0: So what they're going to do of course is shift in the short term they're going to try and shift production out of china i mean this is part of an overall strategy that we can see you know with the supply chains fundamentally it's about proportional control of supply chains
1: the fda is so bureaucratic that they kill many of those startup businesses by delaying by excessive demanding on all clinical trials, etc. The other is for production. We have to arrange the production in Ireland because in the U.S. you have a lot of genius in inventing stuff. You do not have a lot of people who really look after all the equipment and doing all the calls and even to look up those at uh, the clinical trial rats. So therefore. It is impossible simply to take all the supply chain back home to the United States.
2: In the long term, okay, because China is not Singapore, it is a huge country with a lot of human capital and a huge market, it will perhaps slow the progress of the biotech industry, but in the long term, it gives an additional impetus for nationalizing or creating national champions and it basically creates the demand both for investment, as well as human capital, as well as the market, inside Mm. China for biotech. So it kind of has an unintended consequence.
3: The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge.
2: The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way.
3: Hello and welcome to The Chat Lounge. I'm Yun. Today we're discussing Washington's latest attempt to reshape global supply chain in favor of the United States. Joining our discussion are Dr. Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics, University of International Business and Economics. Dr. Dickby James Wren, Political Analyst, Deakin University Visiting IR Scholar and Senior Special Advisor to the Royal Academy of Cambodia and Dr. Ela Fellard Assistant Professor of Practice in Economics, New York University, Shanghai. Great to have you all on the show. So, U.S. President Joe Biden has signed a new executive order to provide more funding to support the country's biotechnology research and development. Almost all media reports say it's aimed to counter China. So let me start with um, Elaf. You know, if we ask people which country is at the top in terms of uh, biotechnologies, I guess 9 out of 10 or even 10 out of 10 would say the United States. And next up should be European Union countries like your home country, Germany. And we see U.S. drug manufacturer Moderna filing lawsuits against its American and German counterparts instead of Chinese companies. So you have exactly. How competitive is China's biotech industry from your perspective, you know, a third country's perspective?
2: Yeah, I think in terms of uh, competitiveness, we can talk about, for example, market share. We can talk about uh, profit margins. We can talk about uh, patents. And on all these accounts, the biotech industry in China has been um, extremely Rapid in terms of development, uh, but I think with the with both compared to the size of China as well as its increasing GDP, I think it is still there's so still a lot of room for development for biotech to catch up to China. Uh, and if we compare it, for example, with uh, China leading in other industries more clearly, for example, financial technology, mobile payments, and so on, uh, that means that uh, biotech is still something where there's a lot of room for improvement.
3: Yeah, indeed. At least China isn't the country um, that uh, is so confident in coming up with a you know a cancer moonshot program under which um, the country's cancer death rates will crater by at least half in 25 years. So, Baocheng, from your perspective, if I remember correctly, last time when we uh, discussed the China's Gaokao system, you, you mentioned many graduates of um, biological sciences-related majors struggle to find jobs in China. So that shouldn't be the case if if China's got a well-developed or, or highly competitive um, biotech industry, isn't it?
1: That's true. Uh, actually, I was leading a, a genetic engineering firm to join venture with China for five years, and eventually it turned out to be a failure. It's not really exactly my fault, but it's really the general environment. That mm. It's not very friendly to the biotech industry. And uh, also personally, my son has been learning biotech engineering, Mm. uh, you know, for his undergrad uh, in uh, Case Western University, in Rice University for his uh, master's degree. But now he's uh, now doing his uh, PhD in law. Uh, Hopefully he can really, you know, deal with the patent issue or, or uh, IP issue in the biotech industry. Mm. And actually, there was an attempt that uh, he was trying to seek some job opportunities in China, but that was not really an ideal one. So therefore, it really brings up to a crucial question that uh, whether China is there to have the right type of talent pool, because uh, as uh, Blinken uh, mentioned, over 90% of the PhDs in biotechnology are in the united states because uh you know not only because of the the package that is really attractive but also because the sense of achievement by dealing with a uh, more friendly and also inspiring uh, field of research so that's something that's important but having said that uh, china is really doing a great deal in terms of the rapid development and for one you do see that a uh, The biotech industry is a hotspot for venture capitalists. Uh, If you look at the uh, GeneX, one-third of the capital is really concentrated on the biotech industry. And uh, also, uh, China, for the fermentation industry, which is part of the biotech, it really accounts for more than 70% of the whole world market share. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, if you see those uh, companies, that is really they're engaged in biotech production. Their revenue last year climbed to more than one uh, more than 100 percent, and uh, uh, the profit rate was 41 percent. So it is really from conceptual level now it's turning into an operational level, and so therefore China has also made remarkable progress in terms of the uh, medical industry and also the agricultural industry for the application of biotech. So China is still a latecomer, and there are also some of the choke points China needs to overcome, particularly in terms of the enzyme, and uh, uh, new agents, activists, and also the equipment that is there. Because when I was leading the biotech firm, we have to buy every piece of equipment from uh, Bosch. Uh, And Mm. also you need to have a very long lead time uh, for down payment before they can really deliver. Therefore, you know, overall, the biotech industry is pointed to the future and it attracts more expectation from investors, consumers and also industrialists. But uh, the challenge are still there. And uh, hopefully the entire ecological system Mm. to develop the uh, biotech industry is there to be further improved to help China to at least narrow the gap with the U.S. leadership in this particular industry.
3: Right. Then do you think China is actually threatening the dominance uh, of the United States in this area?
1: Uh, no, no way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not even in a foreseeable future. But China is there to collaborate and complement the U.S. leadership. Uh, it doesn't mean that I really do look down upon this industry in China. It is really uh, something that is uh, a reality. You know, first of all, the biotech industry is different to other type of industries because it has a very long lead time, and particularly when you are dealing with uh, the seed banks, with, uh, dealing with uh, medication, et cetera. You, you, you need to be prepared for at least between 7 to 10 years before the invention is really turned to pilot production. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Many investors in China, they really look for short-term and the mid-term gains, not really long-term gains. And also the failure rate is uh, far higher than the any other type of startups. And third, you need the right type of talent pool that are really uh, can work together in the right type of workflow. So it's not really a genius idea or a piece of paper that is published that can support this industry. Mm. But uh, uh, again, you know, we always say need is the month of invention. First of all, China, the medical care industry is there very, very, strong. The Chinese government is also, particularly for the 14th five-year plan, is uh, there to be very concerned. Uh, therefore, they offer a large dose of uh, subsidies to support uh, individual companies, to support research and to support biotech parks said So that can be uh, very important and also right now in the recent the collective procurement policy and uh, that's also very much in favor of this particular industry and the other is that because Jinping always promotes that uh, you know the rice bowl should be in the hands of China and how we can really fulfill this rice bowl. So the genetic engineering is the one that is there to promote the uh, productivity of the Mm. Chinese agricultural industry. So we do see a lot of achievements have been made. And third is really the energy, because China is uh, very much reliant on the import of uh, energy. So uh, there are ways that we can really look into the biotechnology, uh, the application in the energy industry to deal with not only environmental protection, but also to help companies to find new ways or niche market to grow. So,
3: so you're saying that uh, because of China's uh, ambitious plan, the United States or President Biden is actually issuing the executive order uh, as a preventative measure. I don't. I don't think
1: so because you know this is always you know the political cliches. They always need to identify an opponent to inspire people on a political front. But uh, you know to maintain the U.S. competitiveness of this particular industry and also leadership, and that's something that's uh, that's really the right type of focus. And then the same applies to the federal government to support the chip industry. Uh, they really stepping you know far beyond uh, mm-hmm. the basic notion of market says mm-hmm. so therefore by you know the uh, immediate subsidies to this uh, industry instead of uh, you know supporting those investors with the right type of policy and environment instead of the direct uh, monetary support i think that's the right thing and more importantly it is really the open-mindedness that really works because it has a long lead time because it is a risky business and because it has a huge prospect. They need a global market, particularly you know, to include China instead of excluding China, mm-hmm. uh, not only at the market, but also as part of the entire global supply chain. And that's the right type of approach. So, uh, you know, those politicians, they are doing the right thing in their notion, but they are doing it in a wrong way or they put the cart before the horse uh, to promote the market that really can uh, sustain such uh-huh. sort of a business
3: uh-huh. and, and digby and um, i'm wondering what's your interpretation of the motivation behind such a move was it purely driven um, by the need to reduce reliance on, on china for medicines chemicals and other products as they they say
0: well h- historically what's happened of course is that china has been at the low end of the production and manufacturing very low end of the research and development so china basically its strategy was to cover generic the production of generic drugs or licenses for American and Europeans to, to produce drugs that were then redistributed back to the Europe and America or mm. into other markets. Uh, but there was no control over the IP and the patents and that sort of thing. And as the other guests have said, all of the machinery and the design of the drugs, that was all done in the United States or in Europe. So that was China's policy and that worked very, very well. Uh, but as China's climbed up the value chain and uh, committed to more research and development and so forth what's happening is you've got the two big producers are the Europeans and the Americans and they don't really want to have a third competitor mm-hmm. uh, at the research and development and to market especially with the idea of course that China is the world's largest market mm. and so what they're going to do of course is shift in the short term they're going to try and shift production out of China i mean this is part of a, an overall strategy that we can see you know with the uh, supply chain. So fundamentally it's about proportional control of supply chains and you know the american market while it's very large in dollar terms in people terms it's really not the largest market and of course the americans and the europeans must depend on exports and so they don't want a third export power which would be china exporting in uh, biomed biotech pharmaceutical etc and so what they're doing now is trying to nip this in the bud if you like uh, to ensure that uh, that the Americans maintain the technological advantage in R and D and as as Dr. Bao Cheng has said, you know, all the vast majority of PhDs in biomed and biotech are in the United States and they want to maintain that lead. But overall, they're not going to look at the Chinese market as something that they really want to get just purely, you know, as a market. What they're also doing, of course, is trying to slow China's growth, contain China geopolitically and geoeconomically. And so you have those two effects. Mm. So maintain their leadership where they license technology and they license all of the, the products, et cetera, and they take them to market. And keep China purely in that middle level where it doesn't really have control over the technology itself. And of course they're going to try and reduce the manufacturing control of uh, over, you know with supply chains of China by pushing it to you know, Southeast Asia to India and to other allies around the world if they can. In the longer run, that's not going to work, of course, because the vast majority of the world's populations are not in the United States and Europe. So uh, self-reliance um, and being able to have that capacity to produce vaccines, especially in a, a world full of pandemics, uh, is very important. And the, the need for food and agriculture, because biotech is in all of these areas. It goes right across basic elements of life. Mm. So food, uh, medicine. Uh, water, air, all sorts of other things, pollution. Uh, Mm. It's really uh, kind of like the new, if you like, the new revolution. Just like the internet digitization was late 20th century, so biomed is going to be for the first half of the 21st century.
3: Mm. We'll we'll have uh, further discussion on how effective uh, the executive order could be uh, later on in the show, but uh, some people argue that this could be for the sake of a midterm election. It could be some election rhetoric because... It lacks, um, you know, detailed information or how to implement this. Uh, Do you agree, Dickby?
0: Um, Well, look, I think the midterm election is very, very important because what's going to happen is most likely, I mean, I think all the pundits, all the observers think that the House is lost to the Democrats. It's going to be very difficult for them to get through new budgets and new legislation in the House. The Senate is split. I don't know exactly what's going to happen there, but it's possible I'd I say there's a probability that they'll also lose control of the Senate, mm. which means that all of the legislation, all of the budgets that are put into place now is basically all they're going to be able to do. And for the next two years, they won't be able to do any of that. They'll be opposed at every level by the Republicans. And uh, so they're doing it as fast as they can. And I, there's been several comments from State Department and uh, other departments, Commerce, Trade, about the fact that they need to hurry, to rush, if you like. Um, so that being said... It does sort of give the idea to the electorate that there's going to be more jobs, that there's investment. But this is basically what the, U- the U.S. is doing is mm. it's doing what it says it won't do and what it accused others of doing. And that mm-hmm. is introducing a general industrial policy where the government is now the largest subsidizer of research and development and key industries. And, of course, that's what the Americans have always accused other people of doing. And making an unfair market, an unbalanced market. And that's what the U.S. is doing to everybody right now. And they're using their power, firstly, to uh, coerce their partners and allies. You know, the Europeans can't be pleased about the idea Mm. that um, they're going to be competing directly against the Americans. And it's also one of their largest export markets. Same is true of South Korea and Japan and Australia, for example. So they're being coerced into that. And the Americans couldn't do it by themselves anyway. So they needed the the EU to do that. They've now achieved that. They've weakened the EU quite significantly, you know, through the Ukraine crisis sets and, you know, election sort of uh, problems in the EU. So uh, not to mention inflation and energy prices and so forth. So now they've got sufficient strength, they think, to, to take on. China and Asia, and so that's what they're doing. And it's not a short-term, medium-term plan. This is a long-term plan to Mm. maintain U.S. dominance in technology and and, and emerging technologies, which is what biotech is. The Chat Lounge.
3: The Chat
2: Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way.
3: Then uh, let's talk about who... Would benefit most from this uh, policy in the short term or in the longer term? Ilaf, what's yes, your interpretation? Uh, I would like
2: to pick up on um, what uh, Dr. Vren was talking about. Sure. Uh, he mentioned that uh, this is an example of uh, general industrial policy, and then mm. we can also talk about uh, the question that you mentioned about who would benefit most from right. this policy. So when this is an action, basically the state is involving themselves in the economy. And this is industrial policy. So the policy means that uh, the state's politics is supporting the market. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in economics, this um, is an argument called infant industry argument. So right. when an industry is uh, an infant, you would like to boss it, you would like to support it. But even if the infant, let's say the baby has grown up, it's maybe an adolescent or an adult, the state can still support it. And the beneficiaries of this policy, or in other words, what are the, the, the arguments for conducting this uh, industrial policy, sp- let's say specifically in in biotech, but it can apply to many other industries, is so if you have, for example, biotech industry, anything that is a demand complementarity, so the things that are at the same time demanded when there is a, uh, the output of the biotech industry, that will be boosted. So uh, parallel as well as complementary industries will uh, get a boost, both in terms of the upstream as well as the downstream industry. So that the inputs going in, the research, the, the graduates, as well as the Can outputs. Can you give us some examples? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, for example, I think as uh, Dr. Liu was mentioning, so the beneficiaries would be, let's say, if, if we talk about people, people mm. with skills that are needed in that industry, then the materials that are needed for doing the research as well as marketing. And then on the downstream is uh, everybody that is involved in getting a cut in marketing, selling, advertising, licensing these uh, these products, as well as, uh, for example, other, let's say even further downstreams, consumers who are getting this new product or this improved product, which otherwise would not be able to be competitive, for example, consumers inside the United States or outside the United States. That's one uh, one of the arguments. And uh, besides this, uh, there's another beneficiary, which is externalities. So the the entrepreneur, let's say uh, Dr. Liu, he as an entrepreneur might not be thinking with his entrepreneur head on, um, what are the things that would be affected if this biotech uh, startup has, for example, has beneficial effects. So for example, if the graduates leave work at the biotech firm, but then leave, they have certain technical skills that even if they apply to other industries, that boss who is paying for their salary, they don't take this into account, so they, it could have spillover effects into other industries, let's say into finance, into technology, IT, uh, etc. Right. That um, would be the beneficial be- beneficiaries of this uh, policy. And thirdly, if the state is directing and trying to coordinate these investments, uh, what would happen is the beneficiary would also be as a society at large. So, for example, if there's either this specific industry, biotech industry, let's say, for example, you have biomtech and biotech 2, 3, 4, 5, let's say, 5 different competitors, they might invest. And some of these companies will go bust and then they will have a deadweight loss to society. So if you have the state coordinating these investments, um, there would be less cost of failure of investing too much simultaneously by several of the competitors.
3: Mm. Some people say, you know, the Democrats must have adjusted their stock portfolios accordingly and they could benefit most from it i bet it's from uh it's republican supporters what's your interpretation Dick V?
0: well we know that um, nancy pelosi has been very famously um outed very a few times on mm. profit taking on the on on the, on the stock market um although it seems to have, be like water on a duck's back for some reason but um the drug industry is one of the largest lobbying groups in America mm. because farmer, big farmer, of course, is extraordinarily profitable. Right. Um, as as uh, Dr. Leo said, I think it's something like forty two percent profit margins. So um, yes, there's certainly been some of that going on. Identifying that is also quite difficult, but because it's very, it's very much institutionalised in America. This kind of um, you know, uh, having information through government channels and then, and then using that to personal gain in the stock market. I, I think that's pretty well institutionalised in the United States. Mm-hmm. But, uh, look, the lobbying group uh, for pharmaceuticals and health products, which is, you know, very, very involved in biotech and biomed, etc., they're always worried about anything that might threaten their profits. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, of course, um, in the last month, for example, um, when the Senate said they wanted to adopt modest drug pricing, the drug industry went crazy, uh, and, and they spent a lot of money lobbying as many senators as they could, uh, saying that um, this sort of thing, that um, doing that and then subsidizing biotech would put venture capitalists out of business, uh, drive biomedical research out of business, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're talking about in a vast amount of money, I mean, something like you know close to $200 million a year
3: right.
0: to get government to legislate in benefit, to the benefit of pharma, big pharma. Um, of course, this is you know happens also in the military industrial complex. But big pharma has enormous amounts of cash. But uh, I don't think that this is actually true. I think most of it is hyperbole. That's not really going to happen. But uh, they spend 100 million dollars on advertising in a month mm. to sway the Senate. So you can see that um, you know the profits of the biggest companies. Johnson, I, Johnson and Johnson, I think made almost 100 billion dollars in profits this year mm. uh, in the last 12 months. Pfizer, 81 billion. Abbey V made 56 or 60 billion, Merck 50 billion, um, and Bristol Myers 50. So there's enormous amounts of money. And where there's enormous amounts of money, of course, there's all sorts of paybacks, uh, benefits, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think there'll be some backlash against this in the future. But right now, the Democrats are in a hurry to get everything done, and they're going to squash any kind of bad narratives about that in the lead up to the midterms because it won't do them very well. But I, I suppose that the um, Republicans will try and do something about that. But uh, I think the Republicans have been trying to make money out of it as well. Mm,
3: right. And Bao Cheng, um, Ilaf says y- you could be a big uh, beneficiary. Um, I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, what do you say? as an entrepreneur? no, well,
1: well, yeah, I think for the first of all, it's part of the puzzle for a long-term competitiveness and dominance of uh, technological leadership in the world uh, for the uh, United States. But uh, and now, if you talk about the beneficiary, you need first to consider the effectiveness of this, uh, this type of policy. If it doesn't really produce the right type of desired uh, result, nobody really can benefit from it. Mm. Of course, you know, it, immediately it is really the... Uh, the federal government that is trying to win the credit uh, and, uh, of course, in support of the midterm election. And, uh, you know, uh, you guys may have noticed that uh, the Defense Department of the United States is very enthused about this uh, executive order in this new initiative. And um, because, uh, you know, there are a bunch of conservatives and they are getting far more aggressive in uh, U.S. politics. So they said, okay, you know, in terms of national security, we need more control over chips. We need more control over the uh, AI. uh, We need more control over biotech, all the frontier technologies that can be applicable to the militaries. So that's something I feel rather fishy about. And they talk about in in terms of logistics, we need to have a closer point of need for the supply, for example, to use the the biotech for hypersonics to the submarine, et cetera, et cetera. So that can really distort the whole gist of technological breakthrough. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's uh, something I need to point. The other is the U.S. bureaucrats. You know, my company, which was really grown up in New Jersey, number one, we have to apply for any approval of a drug, of biotech drug in Europe instead of in the United States mm. because the FDA is so bureaucratic and, uh, you know, that they kill many of those startup businesses by delaying, uh, by excessive demanding on all clinical trials, etc. So, uh, we have to go through the EMEA in the european market for approval and then come back to the united states the other is for production we have to arrange the production in ireland because in the u.s you have a lot of genius in inventing stuff you do not have a lot of people who really look after all the equipments and doing all the, the calls and even to look up those uh, the clinical trial rats so therefore uh, it is impossible to simply to take all the supply chain back home to the United States. And third is that it is really contradictory, you know, for the Democrats. They want to tax those on, you know, big investors, you know, with a bundle of money, but then they wanted to, you know, use their money to support, you know, the leading industries. But why don't you have a way to encourage those people just to Uh, invest on their own instead of you, you know, use the federal money to do that job. And so this is really to win political favor and then also distort the investment scheme. So this way, uh, you know, I do not really expect much of the effectiveness you know, from such sort of uh, uh, policy, however beautiful picture politicians may paint to investors and uh, eventually consumers.
3: But at least it's no good news for Chinese uh, biotech companies, right? Um, Dick, we just mentioned Johnson & Johnson made a lot of money um, this year. But uh, I think um, a Chinese firm in Wuxi, uh, Jiangsu province in China, uh, suffered a lot after this news came out.
1: Well, philosophically, I don't think so, because uh, if you remember the Doist, said uh, if you make your stuff unaccessible, people will be thieves. So you, know, <laughs> mm. so, you know, if you have a higher tariff, you know, people can smuggle. Uh, you know, why don't you just open the technology and then for people to pay the right type of money to have the right type of positive loop to support on the etc. So mm. if you block a big buyer, and that's a stupid move you know in any business to refrain from selling is a stupid business that could be uh, why they are you know the democrats are named the donkeys so uh and then you know the other is that uh, uh, the us cannot do everything on our own. uh that you know actually the us used to be a tutor mm-hmm. to china and to many other developing countries that are, by doing things on your own that's not productive, that's not efficient, and you're going to be miss out new opportunities. So now, actually, because this biotechnology is so pervasive and it's so universally applicable, they need universal efforts. They need you know, more of the collaborative efforts, not only from those scientists around the world, but also, uh, more importantly, from the application and which China provides the right type of, uh, the best, I think, the pilot production Uh, and the pilot sales uh, skill and scope that can really offer to the United States to to continue support their innovation. Mm. So that's why I would say that uh, they really put the cart before the horse. So, uh, you know, they have the right mission, right type of direction, but uh, uh, I think they really are there to hit on the wrong path. Uh So therefore, for Chinese companies, there can be a delay, there can be, but uh, they always have a way. And because, you know, the application can be in anywhere. Even if we cannot really get into the forefront of the pioneer use, we already are benefiting a great deal from the agro business and also from the working with the Europeans. For example, you know, the China camp bought us in Janda, simply they are they're really boosting the Chinese agricultural market by having the, the right type of genetic seeds that yeah. is already being used with many of those big farms. So therefore, the world cannot be dominated uh, by the United States alone, by any single country alone. Mm. So therefore, uh, China does have a way and uh, you know, Chinese people and investors need to be patient and also they need to be selective uh, mm. in which area of the biotech industry can be applied.
3: Isn't the United States trying to recultivate their um, competitive advantage in biomanufacturing by introducing such an in- industrial policy. So, Ela, uh, what's your say? Uh, what does uh, this U.S. policy mean for China?
2: Yes. So, I think if we take a step back and we actually look at, let's say, not from 20 uh, 2020 or 23 but we go back like 100 or 150 years ago yeah. uh, the the first uh, treasury secretary uh, of the united states alexander hamilton he was basically the kind of uh, the idea giver of the idea of supporting industries and this was picked up later then by some german economists who visited the united states and then promoted it back in europe so actually britain because it was already extremely powerful and an industrial leader argued for free trade and for free markets, because it was in uh, Britain's interest at that time. But the United States was rising at the time. So they used industrial policy to protect their industries and successfully so. And I would say that not all industrial policy is useful or effective, as Dr. Liu said. So in some cases, something looks like industrial policy, Mm. but it is just rhetoric, which needs to be separated from reality. It could be Uh, some kind of, uh, you know, kickbacks or patronage to certain donors or industries. But in terms of uh, economic history, for example, China, South Korea, Japan, Singapore, but even like my home country, Germany, they have successfully done industrial policy, which means that there is an argument for saying that some industrial policy can help, Mm. but not all. And I think there's on the one hand the rhetoric, Right of uh, you know America first or bringing things back home, the question is: Is that in reality meaning that the whole supply chain will be back on short or reshort? Mm. I think it's probably not possible and highly unlikely that this will uh, will be the case. Mm. Um, but um, I would like to suggest that in some cases, industrial policy has helped, and this is actually how the United States actually grew. It was one of the factors that uh, allowed the United States to grow into an industrial powerhouse, Mm. um, even though it was mid-rank. And basically, China does the same, especially in its early days of economic growth. And what happens is, like, when you ask about what is the impact on China, typically, there is import substitution. So the country who does industrial policy, so like earlier, for example, Dr. Liu was saying about uh, Bosch imports, the country that does the industrial policy, they are trying to re-engineer or develop on their own the technology. Mm. And this means there will be less imports from the other countries. So it could be that China might have less exports or it might have less access to, for example, patents, license. And its growth will in the short term be limited. However... As also one uh, thing was Dr. Ren said, uh, uh, necessity makes inventive. So sometimes in the short term, what is the hindrance can be actually a boost in the medium and long term, because then you are actually forced uh, by necessity to invent, maybe not necessarily to steal, Mm -hmm. uh, but to re-engineer, to reinvent and adapt the technology to your own local market. I think in the long term, okay, because China is not Singapore, it is a huge country with a lot of human capital and a huge market, it will perhaps slow the progress of the biotech industry, but in the long term, it gives an additional impetus for nationalizing uh, or creating national champions. And it basically creates the demand both for investment as well as human capital, as well as the market inside mm. China for biotech. So it kind of has an unintended consequence. Yeah, so I would say it's uh, like a double-edged sword, mm. uh, but we have yet to see it. Industrial policy normally takes decades to show its effect if it is not just a uh, patronage as a kickback to certain donors
3: mm, so you're saying china as well as uh you know biotech leaders in other regions such as um your home country germany um in australia and india it's not a big concern uh, th- for them th-
2: th- uh, well i think uh they, they they might work so i think uh, another point to to bring in here is um i'm an economist so when we come from the economic analysis perspective right what a lot of economists do not understand is not everything is about economics because there are some things where efficiency and productivity doesn't matter. Some things of national security concern, efficiency is the least thing you are worried about. Uh, If you think, okay, your door, okay, I can buy a door that is paper thin, it will be more cost effective. Sometimes the cost doesn't matter because it's a life and death situation or it could, in the very small probability of, let's say, a supply chain shock could lead to It's basically, think about this if you want to, it's not about economics, but it's about finance. It's basically insurance policy for the nation. Mm. But of course, this is the rhetoric. You have to see to what extent this argument for national insurance, um, where cost doesn't matter, is something where actually it has the effectiveness, or if it is just a short-term grab for profit. And I think as Dr. Liu and Dr. Ren were saying, sometimes it is not a zero-sum game. Mm. Sometimes countries because Dr. Venn is like an IR scholar, sometimes uh, security can increase when other countries are more secure. And then you can have cooperation because then you don't have lack of security, just because of uh, short sightedness So this is something where the rhetoric actually matters a lot, because it could have negative consequences for a lot of countries, and world economic growth when countries are closing in, and they are trying to be too uh, isolationist with some of the industries. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions
1: on hot issues in a more casual way.
3: Let's bring our discussion to a broader context. You know, the, the biotech boost order is just a one in, in a series of policies introduced by the Biden administration that may reshape the global production and supply chain largely in favor of the U.S. at the expense of a, other nations. So prior to this, we saw its um, Inflation Reduction Act aroused discontent from European nations, South Korea, as you've just mentioned, and its Chips and Science Act, as well as uh, you know uh, further restrictions on chip exports to China, trigger backlash from Beijing. So Digby, do you expect these these countries to come up with uh, any countermeasures? We've seen South Korea already say it views the inflation reduction act as a betrayal
0: well it is and i think i mentioned this earlier mm. the the first calculation uh, when the united states wants to introduce this kind of a policy now um as dr ilaf said they are ensuring uh, their supply chains for their domestic needs i mean I think every country is going to do that. They're going to try and do that. And cost is not the primary concern there. But to exert more pressure on global supply chains, the United States can no longer do this by itself. Mm -hmm. So it needed the Europeans and it needs its allies in East Asia and Southeast Asia also, and South Asia. Uh, And to do that, it, it had to take advantage. And it's the largest, you know, it's the elephant in the room. So what are they going to do? Not only that, they're allies. So even though they don't like it, and it is a betrayal, They really don't have very much choice and remembering, of course, that the United States remains maybe not their largest trading partner, but in certain sectors, it's definitely one of their largest trading partners. So there's an enormous amount of leverage there and whether they like it or not, they're going to have to toe the line with Washington. And once that has been achieved, and this is what Washington's basically already achieved is, then they can go after what they see as their strategic adversary, which is China. And I think this goes back to the the point here where when the announcement was made that the shares in biotech firms in China went down very quickly. So investors just sort of trying to get out before they profit taking, immediate profit taking. But they'll probably go back in, as, as Dr. Leo said, over the longer term. But what this signals, very much like the tech trade war with Trump, what mm. this signals is uh, trying to undermine the FDI, so foreign direct investment into the Chinese sector that is powering its growth, which, you know, over the last 10 years, I think it's gone from $3 billion to about $300 billion US dollars that's being pumped into the Chinese economy in this sector. And so that's the first sort of goal is to try and reduce that immediately. So make the US more attractive for its, you know, with its industrial policy, pumping money into the sector that will draw more dollars into the US to follow You know, money sort of follows other money. And so that will probably happen. It won't happen in a very big way. I mean, it will happen. But one always has to remember that China is such a large market that uh, investors everywhere are always going to keep one of their, you know, a toe in the water in China for sure. And because the, the Chinese have a proven track record of being able to innovate at speed and scale, no top notch investor is going to leave it alone. So that won't really work over the medium to long term. But this is just part of the, the entire kind of whole of government approach to slowing China's economic growth. And then having a narrative to say that that's what's happening, you know, China's slowing down. And so then they, the Americans would push the idea that China's slowing down. So everybody's, oh, we, we can't invest in China and perhaps they're not as uh, stable as we thought they were. Um, and so that is also part of the strategy. Uh, so the idea is, you know, you create the narrative that creates a reality in people's minds and then they do what you want them to do. However, as has been pointed out by both uh, the other guests, is this is only effective probably in the short to medium term, Mm. but in the longer term and with these very, very long times to get money back out of uh, biotech and to realize biotech, it can't work. And uh, China and Asia generally and the global south generally is not going to be interested in having markets that are completely dominated by the EU and America and especially America in terms of patents and trademarks and so forth uh, and licensing. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be keen on that at all and they will definitely want China and through its belt and road and through the dual circulation to be interacting much more with the global south and uh, I think that's fairly obvious that China is doing that anyway. Uh, and I think that is another concern for the Americans is that if they don't get hold of the patents and the licenses and the technology to build the machines and the AI and the computers that do all of this, then the global South is eventually going to switch to cheaper you know, innovation at speed and scale in biotech. And that's something that China can do and it's possibly something that India could do. Um, and I think you'll see that India and uh, other marginal providers, so India has a pretty big pharmaceutical market, uh, Brazil, for example, are also going to be interested in doing this. So the global supply chains cannot be focused purely on the US. And the argument that the US has is that China is placing itself at the center of
1: global supply chains is also not true.
3: Bojong, how do you expect China to react?
1: Well, let's you know, bring another philosophical issue. Actually, Adam Smith pointed out why human beings stand out uh, with their civilization versus those animals because animals do not know how to trade and share Mm -hmm. so so therefore you know human uh, civilization advancement is really dependent on the notion of sharing on the division of labor and so therefore to have uh, complete isolation for any type of uh, technology particularly for uh, biotech for the semiconductor etc that is impossible for any single country to sustain. And uh, you know, the other uh, is that if you look at all the history, you know, there are countries who wanted to preserve, uh, you know, the dominance over electricity or you know, information technology. That was impossible. And then also that uh, if the uh, government, uh, a bunch of bureaucrats who lo- know far less than those investors in then those uh, startups and uh, industrialists are really spending the money to meddle around with industries. So immediately it could be a booster, but eventually it could be a killer. Because, uh, you know, it's not their money. It's Mm -hmm. not their expertise actually dealing with uh, those uh, particular industries. You know, people are are all talking about infant industries. You know, I need there to be to take care. Actually, China actually has the same story at the beginning of the Chinese open door reform. We uh, claim a number of infant industries, but uh, we left the textile industry, electronic industry, to be free, uh, freely competitive on the marketplace. But in the end, we also destroyed the ministry of uh, textiles, eliminated the ministry of light industry, etc. Mm. And these industries are really so much pr- prospering. So China's own experience tells: it is really the market that finally says. For the chips, uh, China offers on a yearly basis in the past at least five years you know, 300 billion US dollars to the US chip industry. So missing all this, this doesn't really help the US inventors, the US manufacturers, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So therefore, uh, simply to exclude China, you know, that also sent a message to the whole world that, uh, you know, the US is distrusting everybody, every country because the US wanted to put everything back at home and put a better control over it. And you know, trust is built on a reciprocal basis. So will South Korea continue to trust you? Will uh, Vietnam continue to trust you? Because you know, once people get a better term and they wanted to at least put a buffer on their acceleration of technology and production. So this way, it's really a long-term failure. Uh, mm. that I, I could really see for this move. And this is also dangerous in invading more of the doctrines, uh, you know, set forth of the market liberalism and international liberalism uh, that really sustained the U.S. leadership and also earned the respect from the world.
3: Mm. It seems uh, none of you is so optimistic um, about uh, uh, the U.S. policy would generate um, any results um, it wants. But uh, it seems... Um, Washington wouldn't just stop there, and uh, there are a few, actually, few differences between the Biden administration and the Trump administration, especially in terms of their industrial policies and um, policies on China. And people feel it's still like um, America Again, first.
1: Actually, if you look at the Chinese situation, you know, China spends a lot of money. Uh, you know, government spent a lot more money, even than mm. the United States, to in the chips invention industry first of all there is redundancy and then there's a lot more scandal going on because it's taxpayers money so therefore how we can really relate the productivity and market reward with people's own money and that's the way to grow any type of business
3: yeah, but but Washington is still trying. What if it works uh, when it tried you know, like for a hundred times? Do, do you expect Washington or the Biden administration's effort to to change the global economic landscape?
1: Well, the, the you know wish uh, wish for thinking is always beautiful, but uh, you know whether people will respond, whether any other nations will be there to get synchronized, with the pace that is set forth, the U.S. Uh, politicians they have their own calculations about the you know short-term and long-term benefit and cost involved. So therefore, you know people do read all this. You know, for example, uh, Joe Biden you know made a world one trip in the Asian Pacific region and built up what he named as the you know Indo-Pacific economic framework. And then you know what happens? What can be delivered? So we, in a Chinese way, we say. If you always, you know, bring the thunderstorm and lightning without having the ring drop, people will not really buy your umbrella.
3: Mm. And uh, Dickby, what's your say? Do you have concerns that? uh,
0: Sure. There's no doubt that there's going to be more and similar types of legislation introduced into the U.S. Congress. Mm. This is definitely an attempt to constrain and slow China's progress. Sectors with vast potential are going to be targeted. So, for example, we've already seen this with electric mobility, renewables, battery technologies, all sorts of and any kind of supply chains where the Americans can put a restriction where they can it's as part of their industrial policy reindustrialization if you like have onshoring uh, this can be helped through sanctions specifically with the setting of standards you know much of the talk about you know the rules based order is about setting industrial and technical standards mm. so then everybody has to follow them you know if you want to get registered anywhere you have to get an fda you have to get it from washington or you have to get it from europe so that's very important trade actions tariffs all of these things uh, are, are attempts to limit and restrict external trade that the Americans, you know, where the Americans see that they might have a disadvantage either now or in the future. And it's it's basically a generational attempt by the Americans. What they're really gearing up for is a generational attempt to stop China surpassing uh, the US in economic terms. And, you know, to add uh, fuel to the fire, the Ukraine conflict has obviously broken the EU's fledgling attempts to strategic autonomy and so the EU is meekly and to its very own great disadvantage being pulled along by these US I suppose their hegemonic activities and the other allies uh, Japan has been paying for this for a very long time already 30 years Um, but also Korea and uh, other countries and emerging economies uh, are going to suffer enormously through the current inflation that's happening in the world that's being exported out of the United States because they're printing so much money and because the dollars are floating back as the as the treasury rates are hiked and the value of the dollar goes up. And so now, once again, we're going to see so many countries having trouble paying their dollar denominated debts. So uh, I think uh, China, which is really the most stable of all the economies in the world, I and mean, if you think about its currency, is very, very stable. And it's a stabilizing factor for all of uh, Asia. And it's a stabilizing factor for its Belt and Road and trade partners. So you're going to see the global south and the Middle East and Africa and Latin America. They're going to... Be looking to China to keep stabilizing, keep trade stabilized, keep currency stabilized, keep supply chains stabilized, because they can see, and I think uh, Dr. Leo said this before, the Americans are really the most unstable of partners and nobody's going to trust them.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: And I think that's basically sums up the situation. And and this is not going to stop. It's going to go, you know, there's no end to what the Americans will go to to stop China from passing it in terms of uh, economic size, GDP and and influence.
3: And last but not least, do you, from an economist perspective, do you have to remind uh, Washington that their attempt to reshape the global value chain may be a waste of time?
2: Uh, I think it is... um consistent policy since the founding of uh, the you know one of the founding fathers as i mentioned Alexander Hamilton was conducting uh, industrial policy so it is not uh, it's uh, it's not a deviation from uh, the past 200 years of uh, economic policy in the United States mm. and i think the the issue is uh, i think this is what uh, Dr Liu and Dr Ren has uh, touched upon is the industrial policy needs to be fitting for the costs and the benefits that you get and if you have an industry that is for example, benefiting from international cooperation, their industrial policy is not uh, that effective. And typically what you would expect, so from an economist perspective, you would expect the technological leader, which is the United States, at the frontier of research and development, to basically do a comparative advantage recycling. So let's say they're number one, other people are catching up, Mm. they push further, Mm. other people keep pushing further, and then the competitive pressure pushes Europe and the United States to keep uh, improving and then the followers benefit also first they're going to import the technology of the patents and the licenses and this allows the leader to reinvest that to push further however uh, we are in 2022 this is different let's say if we conduct this interview 20 years ago because as dr Renner was mentioning uh, we have huge global structural changes in terms of uh, hegemony center of economic gravity we mentioned india india china africa brazil russia so, at a time when you have these uh, global, uh, the international political economy being extremely unstable and shifting alliances, this makes it really difficult to predict what would happen or what should happen. Because if I'm an economist and I'm advising a ministry, I would have to take an assumption that, for example, the existing alliances will stay in place, there will not be another pandemic, there will not be another Ukraine situation. And this is very difficult and different from, let's say, 20 years ago, Mm. where you could make easier predictions. So uh, the only thing I would like to share is I'm very aware uh, of the lack of knowledge of what, let's say, the next five or 10 years will bring. And it might look uh, nonsensical, but probably five, 10 years later, we will know better. So that is the... I feel like the dismal science of economics where we can predict uh, the past better than the future.
3: Mm. And uh, as the world economy experiences turbulence, what's needed most is um, recoupling instead of a decoupling, cooperation instead of disruption, because um, a consolidated giant ocean liner always enjoys better chances of surviving headwinds than a single canoe. And on that note, we wrap up today's chat Many thanks to Dr. Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics, University of International Business and Economics, Dr. Dickby James Ren, Political Analyst, Deakin University, Visiting IR Scholar and Senior Special Advisor to the Royal Academy of Cambodia and Dr. Ila Vellard, Assistant Professor of Practice in Economics, New York University, Shanghai, for sharing your insightful analysis and views with our listeners. Please feel free to leave a review for us, either on the topic or on the show, and subscribe to The Chat Lounge for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Tun, saying thank you for listening. Goodbye.